Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, February 20th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter, chapter 5. Last week we were in verses 1 to 10. This week, we're only going to be really in, in verse 8. And um, before I go there and read that verse and then we pray, I just want to mention something about Jonas's announcement um, about the training with doing evangelism with Muslims on Saturday. It's up on Main Street as you go into downtown um, Salisbury there is the associations on the left and Stallings Memorial, I think, is on the right there. Um, but so far we have four from, from our congregation that are going to go. I think Kristen's going to go and uh, JB and Ellie are, 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 are going to go and uh, I think uh, Gil is going to go. So um, if you are interested, let me know and I'll make that call tomorrow um, so that they'll, they'll know who to prepare lunch for. And so just let me know. But let's move back now to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. I'm going to read verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you've done in Christ as our great high priest. We have a priest who is sitting at your right hand. After making purification for sins, he sat down. In His glorified body. And now He makes intercession for us. Always. And forever. We give thanks, Father, that in Christ our sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. And they've been taken care of. And Your great love for us in sending the Son. Sending Your Son. Whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We worship You today. Father, today I pray that Jesus would increase. I pray that I would decrease. I pray that we would decrease. In spite of me, I pray that you would work. I pray that this text would help us, especially in our applications today. I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see that your name would be made great. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of the sermon is really easy, same as the verse, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Now before beginning, I want to mention that this sermon is not the best for taking notes. So if you're taking notes, you may want to put them aside uh, until the end, because I'm not going to have all these points today. I only have, I'm just going to try to answer the question. So it's more like a, a, a longer, in some ways, a devotion so do your best to, to listen, and then when we come to the end, I will have, for the note takers, I will have three clear, one, two, three applications at the end. But I want to answer the, I want to try to answer this question. What does it mean that Jesus learned obedience through suffering, which is our verse? Look at verse 8 again. <clears throat> he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
But, it, but what we must go back to is in, in verse 8, it begins with, although he was a son. Now let's stop and just think about that as I try to introduce this. As we try to think about the difficulties of this verse. <clears throat> Throughout the book of Hebrews, we've seen the deity of Christ very clearly. And that's when I think what this verse is speaking here. Although he was a son. If you think back through Hebrews, first chapter particularly, just going to quote some of these verses, and I do it all the time, so I know it's very repetitive, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Speaking of the angels, he's become more superior, as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. To whom God says, let all of the angels worship him. We do not worship men, we worship God. And so he says of the Son, worship him. And of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. You are the same forever, for your years will have no end. That's all from Hebrews 1. These words can only refer to God, the Son. So in His essence... Before the foundations of the world, this truth is what makes the rest of verse 8 so difficult, I believe. So let me ask, in his essence, as God, his deity, who does he obey? You ever thought about that? I mean, I'm just, it's a question I have as I come to this verse. To whom does, when, when, as we read here that it says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. But when we think about what I just read from Hebrews 1, in his essence, does, does he need help? Well, if in his essence as God, if Jesus the Son needed any help, then that would imply that he needed something. Well, God needs nothing, does he not? God is spirit. And so when we think in his deity, does he cry out with loud cries and tears to save him from death? Which I believe, by the way, that is the resurrection. He doesn't save, save me from dying because he came to die, but he saves from death itself in the resurrection. But he doesn't cry out in that sense, in his essence. For the foundations of the world. He does not do this. Again, the verses I just read, this is the Son, equal in essence, equal in divinity, equal in power, equal in every way. And I think this is why, what makes verse 8 so difficult for us and, frankly, for the world. When, when Muslims think about the triune God, and this verse comes up, they'll use this verse against us because they say, how can God learn anything, right? So that's why I wanted to spend time on this today. Brothers and sisters, the, the deity of Christ is 
under the veil of His humanity. When we see Christ, we see a man in the flesh. And and so we should. Look at verse 7. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers. Our context today is the incarnation and the humiliation of the Son in the days of His flesh. So in order for Him to be our great high priest, He must be one of us. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, solidarity from the book. And last week's sermon, solidarity. He is one with us. So again, I ask the question, what does it mean that Jesus learned obedience through what He suffered? Let me, let me say that this is a mystery. This is a mystery in many ways, but in other ways it's not. His obedience, when we think about the obedience of Jesus, it was peculiar to Himself. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus alone died on the cross. Jesus alone took the wrath and the anger and the holy terror of God upon Himself as our sacrifice. He did this Alone, And so we can't say that that kind of obedience is what we experience, okay? So in that way, it was alone. And Jesus' suffering was also peculiar to Himself. The Son of God took on flesh for the purpose of laying down His life as a sacrifice for sinners. So we could say, when somebody came to you and says, Why did Jesus come? Well, we could say many things, but we could... In this context, we could say that Jesus came to die. That's what He came to do. Because during His life, particularly the last three years of His formal ministry, the cross was on His mind. Mark tells us, very common verse, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to do what? But to serve by laying down His life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. And particularly in the last three years of his, of his life there, in His ministry, Jesus' suffering increased, we could say exponentially, during that time. With every act of obedience, His suffering went up. Okay? His suffering became more intense. And as time went on, we get all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and what happens? His suffering and His obedience, they go together, and that's what we're going to get at. And I'm going to be repetitive today, guys. I'm going to say this over and over. If you're not getting it yet, I hope in a few minutes you'll get it again. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, His suffering was so great because of His obedience and vice versa that He actually, thinking about the cross, sweat of blood said, were said to have dropped from His forehead. And then as... He died on the cross, His suffering came to a head, and His obedience came to a head. So, think about it like this. When we think about Jesus learning obedience through what He suffers. As a man, every stage of His life, all the way to the cross, as we could just say, it's kind of going up, but it's culminating. But every stage, and with every part of His life, as as He went all the way to the cross... Jesus experienced new sufferings in His obedience to the will of God. So in this way, He learned as He went along. I like, um, Greg, I like 
Ortland's illustration with the man walking against the wind. Well, as we know that Jesus was sinless, we are sinners. So when we walk against the wind, which is a picture of temptation, we walk and we, it comes to a head and we might obey the first one and the second one. We get to the third one and the temptation because we are weak in the flesh. What do we do? We fall and we no longer go any further. Well, Jesus, in every bit of suffering, every bit of obedience, as He's walking against the wind, He never stops. So in that way, He knows what it's like ten minutes past where we would go. Uh, and I think that'll, that, that, that'll help us another tiny little illustration, which is not even in my notes. But let's think about this a little further as well with some more illustrations. <clears throat> think about different kinds of obedience and their difficulty levels. Let's move from maybe easy, easier to harder. Kids, if you look up here at me, if you're old enough to listen, let me ask. If your parents tell you to clean your room, some of you older kids as well, don't worry, Abby, I'm not going to embarrass you today. But I probably just did. But when your parents tell you to clean your room, that's obedience. And so you say, okay, and I'll do it, and you go and you clean your room. It wasn't really hard obedience, was it? I mean, you don't want to do it, but you do it, and it's, it's, pretty, it's not very hard. It didn't cause anguish down to the depths of your soul to go as you cried out with tears as you thought about cleaning your room. Maybe it did, but it shouldn't. So what about doing homework? How, how hard is homework? Well, homework can be very hard, but what about just doing it, trying it, and, and trying to be obedient to your teacher. Well, when you do your homework, you're being obedient. And you do it. And it's, it can be really hard, but it's still obedience. And then as you grow older and older as a child, and you become a teenager and, and as an adult, then you get other opportunities to obey, don't you? Whether you are, are, are faced with the, with the task of telling the truth, you can, you can tell the truth or not tell the truth in obedience or disobedience to God's, we, might, we could say, God's law. Or when you are given situations with your friends and you, you can either love them or you can, you can hate them or you can treat them kindly or not treat them kindly. Same with adults, with our neighbors. These are opportunities for obedience or even what you do when you're all alone in your house. When nobody's around and you have, the, you have everything in front of you there at your expense that, that you've got in your home. And what do you do when you're alone? You have opportunity to be obedient or not be obedient. And then when you get married and you have kids, what, you, what do you do, parents? You continue. Things get harder. I, I think when I was younger, I used to think things would get easier. Um, my late dad who passed away would always tell me, John, that's not the case. I, I have more on my mind now as a 70. 75, 74-year-old than I ever had before in the difficulties of obedience in this life and the things that are going on in my head. Suffering and obedience, it continues to get harder and more difficult because I remember even as a young man thinking, I got this. This is, this is easy. I wish everybody thought like I did because I got this one. I, I, I hope I don't think like that anymore. 
Um, and you'll find out when you get older, if God gives you this time, that will not be the case. And, and, and so these are some opportunities to be obedient in life as you get older. But let's think about something that Jesus speaks about when he talks about obedience. Jesus says be obedient not just in your actions, but where? In your heart. Obedience in your heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says if we think evil about our neighbor, what have we done? We've committed murder in our hearts against our neighbor. Or if we've looked at a woman with lust, we've committed what? Adultery where? In our heart. Or if we covet, desire our, our neighbor's goods or our neighbor's position or whatever in life, then it, it gets to the heart, doesn't it? Because people don't see that kind of thing. And so these kinds of ways we can be obedient as well in the heart. And so every day all of us are confronted with such obedience to God in the heart. And so the Bible says that, the, that God's will for you is your sanctification. That is God's will for us. And so as we grow in our sanctification, we are confronted with more and more difficult situations in life. And as we grow with each new opportunity, we grow in our experiences, new ones that come up, another opportunity to learn. And we we also have new sufferings as well. We learn and we grow. And I think that, that in the same kind of way, it, it, well, actually the way I'm explaining it here was exactly the same with Jesus. His entire life was one of obedience. And with each year, particularly the last three, Jesus' level of obedience escalated all the way to his death. And this included great suffering beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine as we'll come to in a minute but with every act of obedience in Jesus life every new act of obedience Jesus learned because it was new to him as a man he learned and so our text says also that he learned through suffering I think in this regard we should consider Jesus' obedience to the will of God on the cross. In this case, obedience to the will of God as, as our priest, as the one who would offer himself and lay down his life. What, what did he do? What does the Bible say Jesus became when he laid down his life on the cross? Well, a few things, but, but together, one says he became sin for us. He knew no sin, but for our sakes... He became sin. Another way of putting that in Galatians 3.13, He became a curse for us. In other words, God's anger and wrath and punishment fell upon Him as our priest who offered Himself as a sacrifice in our place. And so, it wasn't just laying down His life and dying, though. It went much further. The obedience of Christ as our priest was to make propitiation. It's a big word, isn't it? We've talked about it a lot. Some of you will know exactly what it means. But look back at chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 17. Turn back over a couple pages. <clears throat> Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every, every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. In order to do what? There it is in the text. 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. His obedience included propitiation. Now what is this? To propitiate in this regard is to take the displeasure, the anger, the wrath of God away from sinners. And the only way to do this was to lay himself down as an acceptable sacrifice on the cross. For there is only one mediator between God and men, and that is the Lord Jesus. This means that in order to completely propitiate the displeasure and wrath of a holy God for sin, Jesus, our high priest, had to endure all of God's punishment, including separation and hell. Now, this is a great mystery to me, and I think to many of us. Please grab me alone from the side and explain this to me as much as you can, because I'm all ears. It's a great mystery, but we do know this. When Jesus died on the cross, He did take it all. He did. He took everything that the law of God demanded as punishment for sin, took it all upon Himself. For us, He was sinless. And so, when we think about his being obedient and his suffering, and as it escalated all the way to the cross, that kind of goes back to what I said a moment ago. It was peculiar to him. But let's come back down again and think about our illustration a little bit longer. How difficult in comparison to cleaning your room or even being obedient to, 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 to the law of Moses when you compare what Christ undertook when He laid down His life as a sacrifice on the cross for sinners. Can you see the difference in the obedience? The difference in the suffering? Kids, you might think you are suffering when you have to, to mow the yard or clean your room. Or you might find that you are suffering when you're doing your homework. But when we put this into perspective, it's kind of, it, it, it helps us. And any of us who are struggling with sin, anybody struggling with sin issues? We all are, every one of us. So any of us who are struggling with sin and obedience know how hard it is to obey because of our weakness. But with our great high priest, he was obedient all the way to suffering and death of the cross. And we know that one of my favorite verses is Isaiah 53.10. It was the will of God to crush the Son. So this is how he learned obedience through suffering. I believe this text teaches that throughout his life, even if you go back to Luke chapter 2, he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with man. So when we think about Jesus, okay? Think about Jesus now. He obeyed his parents. He made his bed, I would imagine, or he was... Hopefully very clean there. If his parents asked him to do it, I think he certainly did it. He worked around the house. He learned the trade of his earthly father, Joseph, as a carpenter. He sat in the temple. He listened to the priests teach. He was kind with his siblings, with his neighbors. He loved those around him. And as a man, he grew, he grew, he grew, just like us. So did his wisdom grow with him. And at the age of 30, when he entered his formal ministry, his afflictions and his sufferings then really began to grow in his obedience. 
Think about some of these things. Some of the things that, that confronted Jesus when he was here in that time, time of his ministry. He, confronting, he confronted the unbelieving and the poor who came to him and those who suffered and the religious leaders of his day. All of these things he encountered in all of these ways he had to be obedient to the will of God. And in all of these ways his suffering and his afflictions went up and they increased. And verse 7 says that through it all, he offered up prayers and supplications. Often we see difficult times in his ministry, praying, even with Satan coming to tempt him there with 40 days and 40 nights. Great temptations and great sufferings he went through. And during his times of teaching, often heading off to pray that God would help him as he obeyed the will of God every single time. And finally, on the eve of his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries to God even more because of his flesh as a man and the intensity that was going on there. And then we see the drops of blood that came. And then the next day, the great pinnacle of his obedience and suffering would take place on the cross. So, in this way, from a child, his obedience grew with intensity and his afflictions and the levels of all of his obedience, all of these grew all the way to the cross. And in everything that he experienced that was new, he learned in that way. Now, many people read this verse and they believe that this means that Jesus had to learn obedience in the sense of, it's interesting, I'm going to point Greg out. I know he's, he's hanging out with kids back there right now. But think about your cat, Greg, one of your cats. When it jumps up on the screen door, what happens? Well, he's really mean to his cats, I think, okay? Sorry, Maggie, that goes for you. Don't be mean to your new little kitty you got. But he wants to discipline that cat so that that cat doesn't jump up on, on that screen anymore. Or if you've got pets and they want to go in the, in the floor... You teach them not to go in the floor because they're very disobedient. Well, it's not like that with Jesus. There was never a time that he was disobedient. That's what makes this verse so difficult, I think, for us. Because we think that Jesus, in some way, has to learn obedience like our cat or like our dog or like a mere beast. But this verse does not teach that Jesus was ever disobedient. But in doing the will of God throughout his life with all the afflictions and the sufferings he had as a man, he grew with each difficulty, all the way to the ultimate suffering on the cross, which, by the way, as Christians, we do not and will not ever have to do. In this way, our, our obedience always falls short. Back to our illustration of the man walking against the wind, always, and with every wind coming as it gets more difficult, more difficult, Jesus went through it all. And he never stopped with every point of difficulty and trial and suffering and opportunity to obey the Father. But what do we do in our flesh? We sin. And we don't go very far and we fall back and we don't go very far. And that, we talked a lot about that last week. But let me, let me say it again just one more way before we move into our applications which are coming in a moment. As he grew from a child in all of his situations of obedience to the will of the Father, he grew 
And he learned obedience from obeying his parents, from obeying the, the law of Moses, from, and then all the way to being obedient to death, and ultimately to being obedient as he laid down his life and exposed himself to all the wrath and anger and terror from God. Look at verses 9 and 10, Hebrews 5 there. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to get to Melchizedek in a couple weeks. But let's, let's finish our time with three applications, okay? And hopefully even in our applications we'll get some more explanation of this point. But application number one for us today. So if you're taking notes, you can start now. Every act of obedience is important. Every act of obedience that comes our way is important. There, is no, there are no little obediences. Every opportunity given by God to obey or disobey is important in our lives. Why? Well, first of all, obedience to the commands of Christ is just merely obedience. God says, obey me and you will live. Back to the Garden of Eden. Obey me. So therefore, we obey because it's the right thing to do. But as far as our application is concerned, and second, the extent to which we obey in this life is the extent to which we learn obedience. When we obey in the little things, God prepares us for future obedience. In the days of His flesh, Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. And as he grew from a child to a man and then entered his formal ministry, he learned obedience with every subsequent opportunity for obedience, leading all the way up to his ultimate suffering on the cross. So, Jesus obeyed the law of God in every way, in both his actions and his heart, all the way, all the way. If he would have missed out on one of those and been disobedient, he could not have laid down his life as our high priest. He could not have done that. So he was perfected through obedience. And even, even our verse here tells us in verse 9, He was being made perfect until the day when the ultimate act of obedience came to Him. So in the same kind of way for us, we obey in little things. And then we are prepared for greater steps of obedience down the road. So think about that, children, particularly with your parents. This is the training ground for future obedience. And that's just the way God has, has, has made it. We obey our parents. And then we train. And we, we, we have that little act of obedience. And then God gives us the next part in life and the other opportunities. And we grow. We learn in our obedience. Even as difficult as obeying our parents might be. But we do that. One day we're not going to be under the roof of our parents. We're going to be out on our own. And so when we are under the roof, and even my, like my, I still today honor my parents, but I, I choose to obey them as much as what they ask me to do goes along with the Word of God. But I honor them, particularly through obedience. Now, what about as a congregation? Consider our acts of obedience. Um, we could go on and on here. How, how are we being obedient as husbands and 
as fathers and as mothers and wives and, and children? How are we being obedient? What, what are we reading from the, from the Bible that tells us that, that how we should act in the home? And are we being obedient? Are we being kind to one another? Are we loving one another? How are we doing that personally? Or as a church? I mean, how are we being obedient in our, in our evangelism? Sharing the gospel with others. How are we being obedient in our prayer time? One with another. As also just our prayer time in our, in our personal closets, prayer closets. To me, the... These are, the, these are the biggies for me, personally. My, my sins are great, and my weaknesses, and it's come out as, I, as we go through Hebrews, and it's going to keep coming out. And as I stand up here, and as I work on sermons every week, my weaknesses keep coming out. But the big ones for me are, are, are lack of, of just spiritual laziness, not praying until I pray, not it's as God's saying, pray, John, pray, John, obey me here. I think as I do that, that I will grow and I will learn more obedience. And so will you. And I, I, would, I would say the same thing in our boldness with evangelism. We don't, it, it's hard to speak with others, but I'm just speaking to myself. I must and I need to be more obedient as I walk out of this place and I talk with others about Jesus. I don't have some of the opportunities that some of you have that work and with lost people all the time. I'm trying to do that, but I wonder even as a church how we can do that better. But there's an opportunity for obedience. Or just maybe being obedient to go alongside a brother or sister in counseling and say, I'm here. I love you. I care for you. I wanna, I'm going to be obedient. And I'm not going to sit back on my couch and do everything I want to do, but I'm going to come and I'm going to serve you and love you. I wonder in some of our ways as a church, are we, by not being obedient, we're not moving along. Even with our elders, I, I'm just, I'll just summarize 1 Timothy 4. We, probably through the years we've read this chapter more than any other chapter. It just says basically, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, okay, teach these things, teach these doctrines, but <clears throat> as you do, then grow in godliness. Because he talks about physical godliness. You know, going to the gym is, is very helpful, but going to the gym of spiritual godliness and training ourselves in godliness, one helps a little bit, the other one goes all the way to eternal life. So in that context of the elders, be godly in all that you do and let, let your people see your increase in love, in faith, in purity. And I hear that and I go... What opportunity, God, are you giving me as a pastor to be obedient now? Following the example, the example of our Lord. On and on we could go there. And I, I just confess that to you in humility. That, that I, I struggle with those things. And as a pastor, and I think as our elders, as pastors, we think the same thing. And uh, this text is good for us today. So every act of obedience is important. So when you walk out of this place, every single time that you are given to obey God, nothing, oh, I'll just let that one go. Now, we do let them go. And we do sin, but we have a great high priest. There's the weakness. And when we come to Him in repentance, that's the key. In repentance, there we find forgiveness. But every act of obedience is important. Second application. 
suffering, and I, when I say suffering, what I mean here is the afflictions, which um, we sing this song, we've sung it three times in a row now, really good. But suffering, which I, I, I consider to be afflictions and trials and testings, here's my application. These things are gifts from God to you, to us, for our growth in our sanctification. Now, Jesus' example is ours. We learn obedience through suffering. And as we obey, little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, what do we do? We grow in our sanctification. And particularly important are times of suffering. And how we obey during these times, very important. These times are the stones that pave the way to assurance and joy in our lives. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, brothers, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. <laughs> I think he's thinking the full effect of Christ on the cross, but the full effect in your life. Let it have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's my opinion, this is my opinion, that many Christians don't like the term suffering. They don't like, I mean, from one perspective, none of us like suffering. I don't want it, I don't wish it upon you, but then when you read this kind of thing and you look at, the, you look at all the folks throughout the Scriptures, what do you see? Life, you look at the life of Christ, life of suffering, life of trials, life of afflictions. But suffering, we don't like it. If the Bible is clear, there's nothing accidental in your suffering as a Christian. God declares the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46.10 Ephesians 1 verse 11 He works all things after the counsel of His will. Lamentations 3.38 Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come. God is sovereign. He is fully in control of every situation, whether it be pain or suffering, anything that we encounter. And I think that one of the ways that we minimize suffering in our lives, or minimize really not suffering so much, but we minimize the sovereignty of God in our suffering, is we say, oh, God allowed that. God allows this. It's as if to say, as if to say, maybe this is again my opinion, God is not directly orchestrating our suffering in some way in His sovereignty. He just allows it. And by the way, by the way, it's for your good. That's what we like to do. We love Romans 8.28, but... Now, I, I don't think it's wrong to say God allows anything. It's just what we understand behind doing that. Of course God allows it. But what we tend to do is take, when we say God allows it, we just take the, the sovereignty off of Him and put it upon us, is what we do. But consider Job and his suffering. Satan comes to God, and Satan's not even looking at Job. I don't, I don't, I, from what I gather, the first part of, of Job there. And what does God say to Job? Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Who, 
Satan doesn't go after Job. God goes after Job. He says, have you considered him? Now, there's great mystery there. I get it. But let me ask, in this, from this perspective, who's in control of Job's suffering? God told Satan <laughs> who to choose. And Job has no clue what is coming. And then, after his suffering, what does Job say? How does Job approach the sovereignty of God in his suffering? He says things like this. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or he says to his friends, Shall we not receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? Or who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this to me? That's, I've got all the quotes there. And he says other things like that throughout the entire book of Job. He says this, God will complete what He appoints for me. So I think Job is saying, God has appointed this suffering in my life. And with so many words like this, Job speaks. And at the very end, as Job and his friends look for a good answer to the problem of evil and suffering in this world, they're trying to find the answer. What is the answer that is given? The answer is this, God is sovereign and He has the right to do as He pleases with everyone. That's the answer. If you, trust me, if you go and read Job, that's what you're going to get. You're not going to get all the philosophical things around. Now, am I saying don't do that? No, I'm not. I'm saying we can go and do that. But what I'm saying, at the end of the day, we're not going to get the answer we're looking for when it comes to evil and suffering. And you know why? Well, not why, but something I want to point out. The greatest example of this is the cross of Christ. Now stay with me. I'm almost finished with application number two, and then three's a little shorter, but stay with me for just five more minutes. The greatest example of suffering is the cross of Christ. This was the pinnacle of His learning obedience through suffering. Isaiah 53.10, again, it pleased the Lord to crush the Son. This was no Mere allowing. You think Jesus said, oh, God allowed me to go through this? I don't think that's the language we see in Scripture. Now, again, I think it's okay to say God allows. I, I'm not saying that's not okay to say. We can say that, but what's important is that we understand what we mean when we say God allows what comes in our, in our lives. And personally, I think we're probably better off just using scriptural language to explain things anyway, and then just let the chips fall where they may. And at the end of the day, though, all suffering for us, but particularly suffering that comes from being obedient to the commands of God, produces in us great character. And these times are gifts working in us until His coming. As hard as that is, brothers and sisters. I don't know what's coming tomorrow, and neither do you. But it helps for us to think about such things from a scriptural language before they do come. So in this way, like Christ, we also learn obedience through suffering. Finally today, this morning, third application. Fighting for the faith, or fighting for faith, and enduring through difficulties in this life is necessary 
for our sanctification. And this is just another way of putting this, I think. But this life of faith is not to be lived on autopilot. Just, just push the right buttons and just slide through, fly through life on autopilot. We learn obedience through what we suffer. This means we, 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 when we think about our tradition as Southern Baptists, we, we don't have people walking an aisle and then getting baptized and then making a profession and then just walking out the doors and living their lives exactly like the world lives. We can't do that. Life is war. If anyone could have lived on autopilot, who, who could it have been? It could have been the Lord Jesus Himself. But he didn't. He took on flesh, and his entire life was one of suffering. He was a man of sorrows. Our Lord Jesus fought all the way to the cross. There's our example. How are you fighting this week? How are you? That's just being obedient to the commands of God. Jesus says to us, come and follow me. And he says also, if they persecuted me, what will they do to you? They will persecute you. So as Jesus approached the cross, what did he do? He cried out with tears to God. He, he, his sweat drops came out of his brow there of blood. As a man, he pressed on day after day and week after week and month after month until that ultimate time of obedience. And even when he prays, let this cup pass before me, he still presses even further. There's the time of obedience. Let this cup pass before me. He doesn't stop. No, he continues. And then what does he say? Nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Brothers and sisters, again, life is war. It is one long road of suffering and obedience. Suffering and obedience. Suffering and obedience. And with each one we learn obedience through our sufferings. So through it all we fight and through it all we are being sanctified. So if you are not fighting for, enduring through difficulties, maybe you are not being sanctified. If this is not your experience at all. What I've said today is like, wow, that, that's not me at all. And you call yourself a Christian? And I, I look inwardly too, brothers and sisters, the same way. But if we are not, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm better than any of you because I look at my own life and I go, maybe I'm not when I look at my lack of obedience. But then I'm reminded again what we talked, what Greg talked about this morning. We have such a great high priest who has done it all and now we can come to Him. And that's why we are Christians today. So in closing, let me read Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Actually, let me go all the way back to 14. And here's our closing, and then I'll pray. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near 
to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words today. I pray that if anything was said that was not not of you, or an error, may, may we forget those things. But Father, those things which were said and were heard, may we listen, may we obey. Father, give us grace to be more obedient this week to things we've never been obedient to before, maybe, in our sacrificing. Whatever it is, Father, may we be obedient. May we learn through our obedience. And then through our suffering as well, though we, we know we will not suffer as our Lord did. But Father, suffering is a part of this life. And it's a part of learning through suffering, learning to obey. Help us this week, Father. And uh, we pray that you would just give us great grace. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.